0: and welcome to season four of National Treasure Hunt, the podcast where the secret lies not only with Charlotte, but also with your co-hosts. I'm Aubrey.
1: And I'm Emily.
0: And we have been waiting so long to get back on the air. (laughs) It just, I feel like we've been off the air, off of our talking about National Treasure for so long. I guess in reality, it's only been about a month and a half, but Time doesn't fly when you're not having fun.
1: (laughs) I don't know. It's felt like about a month and a half to me. (laughs) Oh, well,
0: I don't know. I haven't seen your face on Zoom here, Emily, in a while. And I guess that just means I like you more than you like me. How sad is that?
1: Apparently. Yeah, (laughs) pretty sad.
0: (laughs) Well, whether you think it's been a while or not, We are so glad that you have taken the time to tune in for the season four premiere of our podcast. We've said it before. We'll say it again. Who ever thought we would be here for four seasons when there's actually only two national treasure movies. So that's fun.
1: Always, always a fun time with you, Aubrey.
0: Starting to not believe you anyway. We're really thrilled if you're coming back and joining us as a regular listener, but we also want to give a special shout out to anyone who might be tuning into National Treasure Hunt for the first time. I don't know how that's possible. We've clearly should have been on your radar for a while now if you like National Treasure, but we'll forgive you. We will welcome you. And so in case you are new, we just want to give you a very quick rundown of what you can expect from our show. As returning listeners will know, uh, we consider ourselves the preeminent experts on the National Treasure franchise. And we come to the show every other week with some theme in mind, usually some interdisciplinary topic. um, And we talk National Treasure. We do deep dives into things like history, movie production, uh, pop culture, music, ethics, science, are some other what are some other hits um
1: commentaries on movies commentaries on the movies themselves
0: Mm -hmm. we've done Uh, character analyses we have a lot more planned
1: special interviews
0: special interviews oh my gosh which are some of our favorite episodes
1: of course
0: yeah so uh that's what you have to look forward to here Definitely go back and check out our previous three seasons. If you are new to the show, it'll give you kind of all the backstory, what you might be missing out on. Um, If I had to point new listeners in the direction of an episode or two to check out, uh, I'd probably recommend our bonuses with uh, National Treasure creators, Charles Seegers and Orin Aviv, or maybe our interview, I think it was episode 20 with Annette Ahrens from Mount Vernon. Um, I don't know what what where would you point listeners to him?
1: I would go ahead and say check out our science episode where we did our own science lab for National Treasure, as well as check out our our episode in our most recent season on the ethics of National Treasure, where Aubrey and I get into some intense conversation.
0: <laughs> yeah. And so on that note, While we're at it, why don't we um, reintroduce ourselves really quickly again for any new listeners or anyone who wants to get reacquainted. Why don't you introduce yourself first?
1: Well, I'm Emily. Helpful. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I am a doctor of neuroscience and I currently uh, study neuroscience at Temple University as a postdoctoral fellow and I'm an adjunct professor at uh, Haverford College, teaching a neuroscience course.
0: Mm, all those all those impressive resumes. Stats. Very, We're very proud of Emily here here on National Treasure Hunt. Um, my name is Aubrey. It's very nice to make your acquaintance. Um, I have a PhD in chemistry and materials science, also a little bit of background in biology, but I took a hard pivot after my PhD, and I now work as a policy advisor um, in international affairs and, and foreign policy. Um, So we come at this from some interesting perspectives. We hope you enjoy. And if you want to get to know us more, share your thoughts um, about this episode or any other episodes in our past, feel free to go ahead and get in touch with us on social media. And Emily, this is your forte. So why don't you tell them where to find us?
1: You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at nthuntpodcast. We are available for your listening ears on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Good Pods. We would love to have you subscribe to us on any or all of those forms. Follow us um go ahead like comment rate review do whatever you can really and like Aubrey said go ahead and talk to us on Twitter and Instagram uh we love to hear your thoughts we love to have conversations with you guys and if you're lucky I'll even pop in for some of those conversations on my uh, personal Twitter account
0: Always a good time. Um, So today, for our premiere episode of season four, we are very excited to bring you a new style of episode that we haven't done before, but it felt very appropriate as the starter to a new season, right, Em?
1: I mean, I think it makes complete sense. So
0: today, we are going to be going through and critiquing some critiques, reviewing some reviews, Really diving into the world of movie criticism surrounding National Treasure, the first movie, we're actually gonna dive into some real live critiques and, and reviews from this film and decide whether or not we agree, whether they're legit, whether they have some some good points, or whether they're totally off base. We're gonna try to be as objective as possible.
1: Yes, as objective as possible, which admittedly for us is not incredibly objective but we will do our best
0: yeah this should be fun the idea for this episode actually came from um a guest hosting gig that we did on another podcast last year and it was really fun because our um colleagues uh the the folks we were guesting with they played a game with us where they would read out reviews um, and we had to guess whether they were reviews of National Treasure or another Nicolas Cage film. And from then on, we knew this episode had to happen at some point. So that's what we're going to be doing today. But before we dive into that, we must do our classic beginning of the episode mantra, if you will, our, um, I don't know, these are, these are kind of like Confessions. There it's a confession of how far into the national treasure pit we have fallen. These are our screams from deep down in Parkington Lane. And by the way, after we share ours, if you have screams from Parkington Lane that you'd like to share with us, share them with us on Twitter. But Emily, do you have a scream to share this week? Why are you laughing?
1: (laughs) That was a great introduction.
0: (laughs) we don't know who's listening for the first time they need to understand
1: (gasps) no it was it was lovely i just you should have seen aubrey's face while she was doing that guy she was she was trying really hard um it was good um so yes i do have a scream surprise surprise um actually it is a surprise for aubrey um (laughs) Uh, so as we are recording this, it is still just a little bit before Christmas. I uh, was recently this past weekend at a light show where I was basically looking at a bunch of Christmas lights that people had set up. And let me tell you, there was a Christmas light set up of Mount Rushmore as well as the Statue of Liberty. And I immediately saw them and thought, National Treasure, National Treasure 2, must let Aubrey know immediately. And then Aubrey, you were nice enough to go ahead and post them on our social media accounts. Mm -hmm. But yeah, so, uh, you know, just trying to enjoy the festive holiday season and suddenly I'm bombarded with National Treasure. Comes comes everywhere.
0: were, Were you tempted to jump out of the car and see if there was a clue attached to these light fixtures?
1: I wasn't, but Josh did slow down the car and he actually pulled it to a complete stop so that I could roll down the window and take a picture.
0: Oh, good Josh. (laughs) He knows his job. Um, well, that's a lovely scream. Uh, I really enjoyed receiving those pictures from you. My scream this week, uh, is sort of a recurring one. This happens a lot, but I'm, I'm using it as my scream today, if you will, because it just happened again, like last week. Um, as I mentioned, I'm a policy advisor. I live in the Washington DC area, perhaps unsurprisingly. And, um, I am not on the dating apps. M, you know, this, uh,
1: also but, because you have a boyfriend,
0: right? That's why I'm not on the dating apps, but my friends are. And what I've learned from my friends being on the dating apps is that there's a certain type of person who lives and or works in the Washington, D.C. area, is our age and is on the dating apps. And that is a person who chooses to answer questions in their dating app profile with references to National Treasure. Ooh, and literally at least once a month, sometimes multiple times a week, my friends, especially Betsy, we've shouted out Betsy on the show before, she's getting another one today, um, all receive screenshots of these answers on the dating app profiles, um, anonymized, of course. I don't know who, who the actual man is, um, but then I go ahead and post them on our social media because I think they're funny. <laughs> But I just love that when people see these things on dating apps or in other random places, the first thing that they do is send them to me. It really is a point of pride.
1: Yes, that is is where we're at in life.
0: Yeah, Um, it really is good because it it pays dividends. We all get to benefit you as well, listeners, because we post it on social. Anyway, those are our screams from Parkington Lane. And so now I think we're just going to dive right into the episode. Sound good? let's go for it okay so here's how this is going to run down just want to start by giving you a little outline of what to expect here emily and i have pulled about 10-ish movie reviews about the first national treasure film we will read parts of them we'll cite them we'll link to them later on on our social media so you can go ahead and read them if you're interested um And then we're going to just have a fluid conversation about things that we agree with and things that we disagree with that have popped up in, in these, uh, in these reviews. And before we dive into the first one, I just, in prepping for this episode, I was really struck by a couple of things. Um, the first was, these were like hot takes Mm -hmm. Some of them literally, like movie reviews often are, came from the day that the movie came out, which was in November of
1: 2004.
0: So, So I find it really interesting to think about and consider how some of them held up over time or didn't, you know, because these were people who were reviewing the film before anyone else had seen it. And so there was no public reaction yet there was no box office numbers, you know, none of that. It was just, it was just the the immediate reaction, especially when it comes to like the New York times review we're going to get into and things like that. So mm. I thought that was really interesting. Um, also <laughs> side note, some of them are like kind of offensive given that they were written in a time that was almost 20 years ago. And we as a society think about things differently now much for the better. Um, so yeah, those are my overarching thoughts that I, I want people to look out for as we go through these. Did you have anything, any takeaways as you were prepping?
1: I think something that I always think of when it comes to me reading movie reviews, and then I, I was definitely thinking of as I went into reading these is kind of thinking about the expectations that the reviewers went into the film with mm. and whether or not those expectations were met. And like whether or not those expectations were realistic for the film that they were seeing.
0: Oh, Do you think, and when you say expectations, I mean, there are all kinds of expectations you can have for something like this. The two things that stand out for me are um, one, the historical aspect. What did you expect going in knowing that this was going to have a historical component to it? And number two, the elephant in the room, or should I say the Nick Cage in the room? I mean, Mm -hmm. He had a reputation that preceded him, right? He did. Um, so, yeah, I think that's a great point. Uh, so let's do it. Let's jump right in. So the first review we're going to get into today was in the New York Times. So I don't know about you, M. When I think of movie reviews and newspapers, the New York Times is the first place that I think
1: of. Um, yes, the the New York Times is the first place I think of for a certain type of movie review.
0: Right. The kind where they take it very seriously.
1: I was going to say snobby, but yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah. I think you could tell that I meant I meant that by my facial expression, but I'm glad that you said it because you're the only one yes, that can because, see my face.
1: Yes. Podcasting, as you may <laughs> or may not know, is not a visual medium.
0: So this particular New York Times review once again came out when National Treasure came out. So this dates back to November 19th, 2004, and it was written by Stephen Holden. The review is titled, A Secret Treasure Map That Ends in Manhattan. Fair enough, good start, right? Um, And because this review is very long, I have just pulled out a couple of highlights that I will read for reference, but we will, like I said, post the full review online in case you wanna read it yourself. So. (laughs) in the words of Stephen Holden definitely not in the words of me maybe just maybe An eight-year-old could pick up an interest in American history from watching National Treasure. That is, if the child could stay awake for this sluggish two-hour trudge through landmarks in Washington, Philadelphia, and New York. It's far more likely, however, that a child who could stay awake through this fanciful reality game show, a grade C Amazing Race, would come away believing the bogus mythology that detonates it with a squishy thud. With its ludicrous frizzing of patriotism and a nod to the Da Vinci Code, A more cynical grab for Hollywood gold is hard to imagine, but national treasure is so witless and shoddy, it suggests that Midas, Bruckheimer, may have lost his touch. High concept hubris tends to work that way. Leading the treasure hunters is a history nut, Benjamin Franklin Gates, Nicolas Cage, an arch nerd whose notoriously eccentric family has been hunting the treasure for several generations. Accompanying Ben are his techie sidekick Riley, Justin Bartha, whose fizzled wisecracks add up to some of the year's lamest movie dialogue, and Abigail Chase, Diane Kruger, a blonde, motor-mouthed National Archives conservator. For Mr. Cage, National Treasure is a low point in a cunningly managed career that seesaws between serious acting on screen and schlock. The actor who can't even muster a half smile or a raised eyebrow wears the numbed expression of a lazy star who can't be bothered to find the character inside his role. If National Treasure mattered at all, you might call it a national disgrace, but this piece of flotsam is so inconsequential that it amounts to little more than a piece of Hollywood accounting.
1: I would just like to say the words, you, there are some SAT words in that that I've never heard before.
0: I just want to say that I wish there was a blood pressure monitor on me right now because I'm <laughs> struggling and we just started.
1: Yeah, <laughs> the, the tension. I could definitely hear the tension building in your voice as you went. So let's, you know, I... um I don't Does- even know where to start. I, I want to start somewhere, but there's, but can we start with the most egregious part?
0: Would that, would that be the uh, way he characterizes the characters?
1: I mean, really it's the way he characterizes Abigail.
0: Um, I would argue that all three are problematic, but Abigail is definitely the worst.
1: A blonde motor mouthed National Archives conservator. Motor she knows things she's allowed to talk this just like
0: this was one of the things i was referencing at the very top of the episode when i was like we think of things as being inappropriate now (laughs) this would be one of them it's it's really the whole feminist aspect that we have argued when it comes to how they treat abigail in the movie but somehow this guy treats her worse than ben and riley do
1: he does and and you know the the term motor mouth really uh, you know is describing someone who's like talking incessantly Mm -hmm. and i think we can both say for a fact that abigail doesn't really talk incessantly like if anything ben gates is the one who's talking incessantly like he just always has a point to make
0: right and it's i almost feel like this guy watched just the scene from the car chase and when like she gets into the van, and then afterwards, and he's like, Shut up, please. And like that whole, mm-hmm. you know, th- that part where they're basically deciding where to go next now that they have the declaration and they accidentally have Abigail, um, which is the only part of the film where even Ben and Riley are asserting that she's talking too much. And the rest of the film, that's not the case at all. Like, did this guy literally only watch that part and then decide to, oh gosh, I just can't, I can't. <laughs> and then on top of it, I argue that his characterizations of Ben and Riley are also kind of problematic. Ben, an arch nerd, like, that's, I don't know, that's not meant in like the fun Big Bang Theory nerd way, I think we can agree. Right. Like, that is meant to be an insult. Mm-hmm. And- um, his techie sidekick Riley, whose wisecracks add up to some of the lamest movie dialogue of the year. I know you have some thoughts on that.
1: I mean, yeah, my very biased opinion is if the movie dialogue so lame, why are people still quoting it to this day?
0: I mean, that's one of those things that if you read the message boards and the forums, One of the things that people love most about this movie is the Riley lines, the comic relief lines. They pop up everywhere. Delicious jams and jellies, like everywhere, right? This guy is so out of touch and off base. And I really think that this is a great demonstration of your early point, Emily, as well, where you say that movie reviews and movie critiques, um, can come off as really snobby
1: they can come off as snobby and I think it also you know this one lends to the kind of point that I was bringing up before which is you know what did this reviewer go into the movie expecting Mm -hmm. because He's saying that it's this mixture of patriotism and a nod to the Da Vinci Code, which, of course, he characterizes in a in a negative way, right? And then says a more cynical grab for Hollywood gold is hard to imagine. I would argue that it is a combination of patriotism, as well as there are definitely similarities to the Da Vinci Code. But I don't think that's a bad thing. If that, like, I feel like that's what you should be going into the movie expecting at least from seeing the commercials that's what I went into the movie expecting was a combination of those things so he's like what did he expect when he went to see this movie did he think it was going to be some highbrow like documentary
0: (laughs) I mean I would hope not because then he shouldn't have a job as a, a movie professional because again like you said that's not what was pitched in the trailer not to mention the fact that he's just super off here. You know, he basically says that this is a major miss by Jerry Bruckheimer. We know almost 20 years later, this is one of Bruckheimer's most known movies, right? right? And for, he talks about how bad this is for Nick Cage's career. And we've talked about how this is, this and National Treasure 2, of course, are Nick Cage's two highest grossing live action movies yeah not to mention the final line of you know being a national disgrace i mean i'm sure we don't have to tell people who are listening to this podcast that one of the most common memes about this movie on social media is national treasure was the national treasure all along (laughs) right
1: which is true
0: (laughs) so honestly there's a part of me that wants to follow up this by like looking up this Stephen holden's i don't know resume like does he still do this job because he was clearly bad at it in 2004
1: uh so and this is where i'm gonna push back a little bit
0: really okay
1: i don't think he's bad at his job i think he's reviewing a movie the way he he's reviewing a movie from the perspective of he did not get what he went to the movie expecting. But that lends me to then ask, what did he expect from the movie? There are a lot of movie critics, especially in places like the New York Times and stuff like this, who are looking for more highbrow things than your typical national treasure Disney movie is going to give you. So the reviews of those films are always lower than the common audience reviews typically are
0: i do not argue with that i do not argue with like how i I don't know we never took film classes i don't think either of us did i know i didn't did you
1: You i took a film music class
0: right 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 i did know that um but like i've never been taught how to write a a movie review i'm not doubting that this is how it goes what i'm saying you're bad at your job when you are should theoretically know a little bit about like the film producer and Mm the lead actor and maybe even a little bit about the other main character actors and you should therefore be able to make a better prediction about how this is going to fare as a movie and so what we just said about like for example the brookheimer and nick cage of it all and how it's played into their their careers this guy couldn't be more wrong
1: he couldn't but also as you mentioned this was written in 2004, in November of 2004. So at the time, it's very possible that he didn't have the foresight right to see that it was going to have such a large impact on their career. Hindsight's 2020. It's easy for us to say, "Oh, well, it's one of Jerry Bruckheimer's like, of course, most popular movies. One of Nick Cage's highest grossing roles."
0: Of course. I guess what I'm saying is, when this is your profession you don't have to have a crystal ball. I think you should know what the actor or the producer has done and how different types of films are received at the box office. And based on that, you might, this might not be highbrow for you, but you could say, while this is a plot, you know, a a terrible take on history and blah, 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 it's gonna make a lot of money. You know, it's gonna, whatever.
1: I do agree with that. I think that, and this is something that I don't know if you're super familiar with, but as a fan of comic book movies, it's something that I'm very familiar with. You know, th- some of the highest grossing movies are comic book films, like Avengers Endgame, Avengers Infinity War are some of the highest grossing films. Mm-hmm. That have premiered in the world. And if you read reviews of them, they're terrible. Right. Right. Because people don't want movies that are fun to be good. They want you to have to think really hard and have it be some esoteric thing in order for it to be deemed good or worthwhile. Mm-hmm. hmm so the, the, the monetary aspect is almost like secondhand. It's something that I'm just so used to ignoring because like the reviews that come in response to that don't even match up with how well something does.
0: That's fair. No, you, you make an excellent point. Well, as we wrap up this New York Times bit of the conversation, I think I would just like to leave that conversation with I just don't think Stephen Holden thought hard enough when he was doing his movie review because if he was looking for esoteric comparisons and deep meanings he should probably listen to the first three seasons of her podcast because that's exactly what we've been doing with National Treasure for over 30 episodes so that's my thesis
1: Well, well put, Aubrey. So moving on to our next review, where is this one from, and who is it by, and what does it say? Do tell more.
0: Yeah, so this is going to be the other sort of formal critique that we look at from another big source. This is Rolling Stone. Um, So this Rolling Stone review was published on November 18th of 2004 by Peter Travers, And apparently Rolling Stone has like a four star system. And he gave National Treasure one out of four stars.
1: That's better than what I thought because I read it as a quarter of a star. So (laughs) one out of four, it's still a quarter, but it's not a quarter of a star of four stars.
0: (laughs) That's excellent. Um, So this review is much shorter than the New York Times one. So I figure I'll just read it in full. In the words of Peter Travers, if you can't wait for the far-off movie version of Dan Brown's mega-selling The Da Vinci Code, don't get crazy. Producer Jerry Bruckheimer has ripped off the plot, shifted the spiritual focus from Christ and the saints to a hunt for treasure changed the setting from France to the U.S. and turned a tense page turner into rancid cinematic cheese. Nicolas Cage as Benjamin Franklin Gates, a nutjob historian who has frittered away his career, much to the consternation of his daddy, chasing an alleged treasure hidden by our founding fathers with the help of the Knights Templar, an uber-secret society which leaves more clues than a TV reality show desperate for ratings. Cage's sleuth is convinced the map to the treasure is hidden on the back of the Declaration of Independence. So he steals it and takes off on the chase with his computer nerd buddy and a hot blonde, who just happens to be the conservator of the National Archives. It's not just hard to believe any of this, it's impossible. And director John Turtletow directs with robotic cheerlessness. For Cage, this is a paycheck movie. For Bartha, it's an attempt to make the public forget he was in Jiggly. For Kruger, who played Helen in Troy, it's proof positive that she can't act. For the audience, it should be torture, but I have a sick feeling it might be a hit. Brookheimer Films make seductive trailers, but you won't find any treasure in the films themselves. Just fool's gold.
1: Give me all the fool's gold.
0: Okay, so I- Give me all the
1: fool's gold.
0: I, I agree. I agree. Um, I have, this is an interesting one for me because this one I think is a good example of what I- Based on the conversation we just had about the New York Times review, this is what the New York Times review should have been, in my opinion. Like, if you mm-hmm. want to be super snarky and arrogant and derogatory because it's not highbrow, but you still acknowledge that you know this is going to work.
1: Yeah, but see, I I don't know. I almost hate, I I, I mean, I not almost, I hate the fact that he says that he has the sick feeling that it might be a hit like why is that a sick feeling for you bro like just because it's not the type of movie that you like doesn't mean it's not the type of movie that people like and as a movie critique critic as a movie critic (laughs) aren't you supposed to critique the films as the audience not just yourself or am I getting that wrong I completely
0: agree with you, but I feel like you're completely disproving your point from the past review, (laughs) which I'm fine with because I completely agree with you. Um, yeah, I agree with you. I don't like this whole MO of just taking the approach of if it's not an Oscar nominee for best picture, it's not good.
1: Yeah. And you know, something that I'd like to point out and, you know, I got to give people some credit. It, I can understand not knowing this, right? We've, we've talked to Charles and Oren about national treasure, about the process of creating national treasure, about when the ideas for national treasure came about. So we know, and our listeners at this point know, if they've listened to our interviews with them, that. The idea for this story came before the publication of The Da Vinci Code. Snap, snap, snaps. (laughs) And I understand that if he hadn't spoken to the creators of the film, this reviewer might not know that. Because it seems as though the ideas are very similar to that of The Da Vinci Code.
0: Yeah. But... Yeah, this drives me absolutely crazy as well, because, I don't know, like, give credit where credit is due. It's, like, fine. If you want to compare the two because they have similar, like, conceptual plot lines, fine. But as soon as you start asserting, oh, he ripped off the plot of the Da Vinci Code. Like, no, now get your facts straight, because you're saying something that's super derogatory and, like, almost accusatory. And, you know, you and I are academics. From the sense of if someone said they ripped off your paper, that's like borderline right. plagiarism. And that's like very bad. Right. So before you go making an, al- an allegation or an assertion like that, get your facts straight. Um. Also, what is with the early 2000s and these awful derogatory descriptions of characters?
1: I don't, nut job? Not a fan.
0: Not, exactly. Once again, it, this is... And it's interesting to me because the New York Times guy and the Rolling Stone guy are kind of using the same stereotypes to characterize the characters, which I get it. They watched the same movie, but, like, being derogatory about Ben Gates being smart and passionate, I don't love that.
1: No, you know, being passionate about things is nothing to be embarrassed about.
0: And being smart is nothing to be embarrassed about. True. True. Um, And then, so so Hot Blonde, Diane Kruger?
1: I mean, you know, we had that whole episode last season going into the character analysis of Abigail Chase. And, you know, you and I know better than anyone that there wasn't a lot of character there. But there's more than Hot Blonde. Yes. Exactly. And... To describe her as that suggests that there is nothing more to her than the fact that she was put in the movie to be eye candy, essentially, which I don't believe was the case. Uh -uh. But even if it was, that was that's very problematic, but it's a very problematic assumption To make. And it's also discounting, you know, he discounts the fact that she has this important job by saying that she just happens to be the conservator of the National Archives. Like, no, she doesn't just happen to be, she has a PhD.
0: Yeah, exactly. No, I have, I have, I completely agree with everything that you're saying here. I feel like it's extremely reductive. This entire characterization is so reductive we had in the previous one the previous review it was um motor mouth and in this review we have hot blonde like you said they're looking at this as if she's just there to be the stereotypical you know woman eye candy and once again are they not watching the rest of the movie where she is solving the clues with ben with ben exactly so if you think if you think that I don't know let's use their words if you think that Ben is a nerd how is she then not and i'm mm. saying it from like a per, the perspective of like you know the the, fu- the like cozy big bang theory nerd because you know how we we are scientists ourselves but like you have to use their words against them if Ben's a nerd why isn't she because they're doing the same things in the movie and she's more educated than him from a level of degree standpoint It's true. And I want to make one more reflection here. Again, these are two different publications. I guess from the, I don't know if you can consider from like the movie review perspective, these two publications are almost like rivals, right? They're the two big movie review outlets. Mm -hmm. And you have two different men, by the way, male reviewers going in and characterizing her in this way. What does that say? about like the, the the field the practice of movie critiquing and movie reviewers and how they were trained to think and how they felt empowered to speak about these characters in what are very very wide reaching public settings
1: and also you know not to put not to uh, not to shift the blame from the reviewers themselves because they definitely have a patriarchal role in this sense but also what does it say about the state of movies that have been built up to this point that such movie reviews like that were generally well accepted because back in the day I'm sure they did just put a woman in to be the eye candy mm-hmm. And so what does that say about the patriarchal context in which movies were being made back in the day and even into today? Do we see, you know, we're starting to see some differences there, but do we see them as strongly as we would like to, arguably not? Mm -hmm. You know, it's just, uh, it's it's interesting.
0: It is. And something that I would love or uh listeners to weigh in on um if there's anyone out there who reads movie reviews regularly I know I'm not that person I don't think you are either Emily you know reading movie mm-hmm. reviews constantly I would love to know if the rhetoric has changed I hope it has but I would love to know what that looks like today and if you want to send us your thoughts um on how you think the movie might be reviewed differently if it was released today I would personally love to hear those thoughts on social media so yeah. Let's move on. Um, so we talked about the two big wig movie review outlets. Now we're going to get into um, our, our last half of the episode is going to be more on the aggregator outlets. The first is everyone's favorite, Rotten Tomatoes. And I find this really interesting because as you may know, Rotten Tomatoes goes through like a reviewing and critique process in two different ways. There is the Tomato meter review, which takes into account actual critic reviews and and critic ratings. And then it also includes an audience score um, and allows viewers, audience members, you and I, to go in and review and rate the movie. And so this is where I think we see our first really big divergence in what critics think versus what audience thinks. So on Rotten Tomatoes, National Treasure has a 46% tomato meter out of 179 reviews. So that's 46% out of a, the highest possible is 100. So less than 50%. But on the audience score, again, viewers like, like us, we have a 76% audience score from over 250,000 ratings. So huge differential there. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: What we're going to do here um, for Rotten Tomatoes is I have pulled three critic reviews and three audience reviews just to give us a a little flavor of what they sound like. They're usually like one or two lines, very short, um, because it's going to be a fun exercise. They're going to sound really different. So let's go through, I'm going to read all three of the critic reviews that we pulled first. We will critique them as a group. um, And then we will do the three audience reviews and critique those as a group. So the three critic reviews. First, we have the first person um, was Matthew Raza of Salon.com gave National Treasure a three out of four rating. And he wrote, it is definitely a guilty pleasure and 90% of the reason why can be summed up in two words, Nicolas Cage. The second critic review is from Stephen Gray Danis of Decent Films Guide, who gives this film a B minus. He says, works fairly well as slick, enjoyable hooey in its general approach, if not all particulars. This could represent a promising new approach in family entertainment. And the third is a review by Debbie Lynn Elias of Behind the Lens who writes, while not the greatest film of the year, it is definitely one with a considerable amount of intrigue and action, not to mention some actual history lessons. Hmm. So immediately we have less harsh reviews than we saw before, although they- they're still fairly pragmatic. Like this is not the greatest movie of the year.
1: Mm-hmm. Which, is, which is fair. No, Not everybody has to think it's the greatest movie. That's fine.
0: Agreed. Agreed. Um, they would definitely have poorer tastes than you or I, but agreed. <laughs> but these critiques do give credit where credit is due, mm-hmm. which I think is a, a huge improvement, especially as we were we were almost critiquing the practice of movie critiquing before right. and I think this is kind of an improvement ironically in a sense where these are like one sentence reviews and they're able to incorporate enough nuance to show that yeah while this isn't my favorite movie I applaud it for doing x y or z Hmm.
1: yeah and I you know I, I there are definitely some negatives here like you said like enjoyable hooey like it's not great that that's a negative that you know it's not good mm-hmm. but they're still saying it could represent a promising new approach to family entertainment like which i okay. find
0: really interesting i mean think about it we talk about national treasure as this mashup of action adventure and heist and what are some movies that are not in the superhero genre or the comic book genre that do really well they have aspects of usually action adventure or heist right mm-hmm. so i think um which one which person said that steven Stephen gray danis i think he was kind of onto something there if you take that promising approach for family entertainment as a prediction we saw that national treasure 2 did even better the national Treasure won at the box office.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So that that's right. Another thing that I liked here was Debbie Lynn Elias recognizing that there are some actual history lessons,
1: mm-hmm. which
0: I have to give major snaps for because you mentioned the Da Vinci Code um, you know, misconception as being one of the big pet peeves we have here on the pod. Another big pet peeve that at least I have here is people who come on and say, oh yeah, this is all nonsense. Right. Well, we've done the work. We have done the research, the reading, the interviews. And we know that, of course, this is not a documentary. But they draw inspiration from almost all events in history that actually happened. Right. And the fact that that's being recognized here, I actually really applaud.
1: Yeah, it's like some. It almost feels like she took some extra time.
0: Right, right. That with
1: the film, or
0: to get maybe to that point, or maybe she's a history buff herself. I don't know. Um, but I, I really liked that. Before we move on to the audience reviews, what did you think of um, Nicholas Cage being? the reason that this is a guilty pleasure as Matthew Rosna asserted.
1: So, you know, my dad kind of changed my mind about this phrase a couple years ago, guilty pleasure, because he said that nothing that you find pleasurable should be guilty. You should proudly, you know, uh, you, you wear that on your sleeve that you, that you enjoy something. Um, So I don't necessarily agree with it being a guilty pleasure, but I I do agree that some of the reason that people like this film is probably because it has Nick Cage in it. It's not what brought you and I to the film, but I bet it's what brought some people to the film.
0: You're so right. There's also an aspect here that really annoys me where people feel like they, it's kind of, it's, I know I talk about reality television a lot on this show. Analogy wise, I'm going to do it again. It's in the same way that people feel embarrassed to admit that they like reality television. People Mm -hmm. feel embarrassed to admit that they like Nicolas Cage and or his movies, which is ridiculous. Like, just like your dad said, you like what you like. That is allowed. So don't get me any further onto that soapbox. I completely agree with your dad. Hi, Mr. Black. Um, but yeah, I, th- I think this really, really plays into the fact that people feel like they have to caveat their love of this movie, of other Nicolas Cage movies as like, oh, I'm ashamed to admit, you know, any, which I just, I can't stand that.
1: Yeah, it's not, it's not my favorite.
0: Okay, so We saw some critic reviews that you'll see on Rotten Tomatoes. Let's look at some audience reviews. So let's just, um, once again, I will read the reviews and we'll critique them as a group. Now, to be as unbiased as possible, since like we said, there are 250,000 ratings from audience members on Rotten Tomatoes for this movie, I took the three most recent reviews at the time we were prepping for this episode so as to be as unbiased as possible, Okay, So these are regular movie viewers like you and I. The first reviewer is Austin B. He gives National Treasure five out of five stars and writes, improbable plot? Tenet has a more improbable plot, and the audience believed it. All of fiction has an improbable plot. This movie explained it perfectly. Incredible soundtrack, incredible plot, great family action movie. The second review is by Peter P., who gives the movie four out of five stars, and writes, I'm beginning to think that the only qualifications for being a movie critic is to be angry and hate everything that normal people love. And finally, the third, we have Thomas R., who writes this three out of five star review, This is supposed to be a more modern Raiders of the Lost Ark, and it makes no pretensions otherwise, the major difference being that it is more family oriented, namely no graphic violence or profanity or sexuality, yet it still entertains. How does it pull everything off? He then goes into a long summary of the movie, so I'm not going to go into it, but after the summary far from being sensationalist other than its premise the movie is muted both in its characters and its action ian is simply a greedy man rather than a snarling mustache twirler and the only big explosion is from the old ship they find at the outset more akin to pirates of the caribbean than indiana jones it's meant for fun entertainment with no deep meaning intended not for everybody simply for entertainment um I love these
1: (laughs) so i i like them um i don't agree with them all okay um do you want
0: to start at the top or jump around
1: well for the one that i don't agree with let's jump let's jump around for the one that i don't agree with i would say you know thomas says that um the movie is meant for fun entertainment with no deep meaning intended. I think, as you said before, we've done a lot of work over the past three seasons to find some pretty deep meaning in this. Um, I will, though, say that, you know, we talk about this all the time because of our education at our sinus college, we were kind of primed to do that, to look for a deeper meaning in everything that we experience. And I think that we definitely have pulled a deeper meaning out of this than the average viewer might necessarily see. That being said, I, th- I think you can do that for for most things. But I you just take issue with that a, a little bit because it, I think and especially after talking to Charles and Oren, I think there was a deeper meaning intended. Mm-hmm. Like, I think, you know, the, the heart and soul really went into this. Um, but I think that's the only one that I really, like, strongly disagree with.
0: That's fair. I agree with that line as well. But there are other aspects of Thomas's review that I think are kind of fair. And I appreciate one of them being, you know, this isn't actually sensationalist. You know, except for the the overarching premise, but like actually the way it plays out, it's portrayed, we've said, I think we've said this before, it's portrayed as realistically as it possibly can be. So it's really grounded in a feeling of reality, even though the situation is crazy, right?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, even though nobody's going to be stealing the Declaration of Independence, we still had to go through security and stuff like that to get the declaration of independence
0: yeah the other thing that i found interesting about his review which i kind of want to ask you a question here on Aram, he says that the movie is more akin to pirates than it is to indiana jones and do you think we should do a national treasure versus pirates at some point in the future no why It would would be difficult, I think. But here's the thing. It's something to consider, in my opinion, just because I think we're not the only ones who have said before that National Treasure and Pirates are the same feel of a movie. Like, you think of them in the same breath when you think of Disney movies. And I have to wonder, like, why that is when otherwise, like, just on the surface, they're so different. You know? Mm Mm-hmm. So we'll table mm-hmm. that, I guess. Um, okay. Let's backtrack. Let's go backwards then. Um, Peter P. Peter P. is like reading your mind when he says yeah. that the only qualifications for being a movie critic is to hate everything that normal people love. I love, he basically just reiterated what we were saying earlier. I, I really <laughs> I agree. Love that it wasn't,
1: it wasn't a review of the movie.
0: <laughs> it was a review of the world's reaction to the movie. <laughs>
1: So that was interesting. Uh, going up, you know, to the first one, uh, Austin B. I, I love the fact that he put in here all fiction has an improbable plot, because that's very true. Um, and, you know, part of what I love about National Treasure is that it is improbable. Not only have we talked to experts in the field of document preservation and stuff like this, and, you know, we've talked to, you know, other other people who have, you know, told us about various security features at some of these historic places. You know, we know that stealing the Declaration of Independence and handling it the way that it was is not real but I don't think anybody went into the movie or I hope nobody went into the movie thinking like, this is definitely what I could do with the Declaration of Independence.
0: Emily, maybe that's what Stephen Holden thought. And that's why he was so angry when he wrote his <laughs> New York Times review. <laughs> no, but I agree with you. There, there is something here. This whole all of fiction has an improbable plot. I mean, think about it. How, how can you be so critical of something like National Treasure and not be critical of like, of scenes in the Fast and the Furious movies where cars are literally like being launched out of planes and things, right? Fiction has improbable plots. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, like I've said before and said earlier in the episode, I am a fan of superhero movies. That's all improbable. Like nothing about that's real.
0: For but sure. it doesn't mean it's
1: not fun. Right. It doesn't mean it's not good.
0: And finally, the other thing that Austin recognizes is the movie explains its plot perfectly, which we've done the dissection and the analysis for the first National Treasure movie, especially, they connect all of the dots so well. And, make and it's it very easy to follow. Yes, exactly. So I'm really glad that he pointed that out as well. Ultimately, from, from this exercise here, I really feel like um, audience members can actually be very uh, poignant and discerning and recognize the good and the bad in a very objective way that isn't just hoity-toity snobbish reviewing for the sake of it, so... Shall we move on to our final bit? Let's go. So our final set of reviews comes from one more aggregator. You all are probably familiar with the website IMDb, um, which I know we use very, very frequently when we're learning about the actors in the National Treasure movies. Well, there are also, of course, IMDb pages for each movie or TV show. And IMDb has given... National Treasure, a 6.9 out of 10 star review. This is based on 317,000 ratings. Now, the way reviews work on IMDB, which I learned just prepping for this episode, (laughs) um, is that these are all user reviews. So pretty much anyone can go in and write a review. We once again picked out three that we will give here. To be as unbiased as possible, we looked for the most recent reviews that were not too long (laughs) (laughs) so that we could read them here on the pod. Um, So we'll go through the three and then have one last discussion. So the first review here is by Bethany Cox, who gives National Treasure 7 out of 10 stars and writes. Not a masterpiece in any shape or form, but a fun adventure film nonetheless. National Treasure is quite simply one of those films where you have to take it for what it is. It's no masterpiece in any shape or form due to the daft plot as the director tries to piece together a detective story, conspiracy thriller, and an action adventure, sometimes corny dialogue and uneven pacing. But what makes it fun is the beautiful cinematography and settings, great special effects, terrific music score, Colorful action, especially the sequence of the theft of the Declaration of Independence, and the spirited performances of Nicolas Cage, Sean Bean, (laughs) who, (laughs) Sean Bean, he has been better, but hey, he was fun, Harvey Keitel, and John Voight. Overall, daft, but a fun way of escapism for two hours or so. The second review comes from the user Snoopy style, who gives six out of 10 stars and writes, don't think too hard. Benjamin Franklin Gates is following a family tradition of treasure hunting as they have been gathering clues to a war chest hidden by the founding fathers after the Revolutionary War. The clues follow all the big American icons as one big scavenger hunt. Riley Poole is the geeky sidekick. Ian Howe is the evil competition. Patrick Gates is the grumpy father. Abigail Chase is the government official who gets dragged into the caper when Benjamin steals the Declaration of Independence. Just don't think too hard about this movie. It's a fun, mindless treasure hunt. It was fun as long as they're visiting some real places. Once they go underground into the movie stage portions, it gets extremely fake and the action gets uncompelling. The last uh, review we have from IMDb is by user Gavin who gives the movie seven out of 10 stars and writes... Ignore the history, love the suspense. National Treasure is the story of a cynical treasure hunter named John Voight, who has given up on the dream of finding his family's lost treasure. That is, until one day when his son Nicholas Cage shows up with a beautiful German girl and a trendy computer hacker, and they have stolen the Declaration of Independence. Then the feathers hit the fan as Voight searches for the treasure again and refuses to fail no matter how many nasty British thugs want him dead. This... (laughs) This film soars high with action suspense, a healthy dose of history, though sometimes inaccurate, and Harvey Keitel. While it does have some logical inconsistencies, the film is overly enjoyable and could even be the third greatest presentation from Cage to date, behind 8mm and Con Air. Recommended. That last one, I I'm was so, I'm laughing out loud. It was so hard to get through that.
1: So. I have to say that the first thing that I'm getting from these reviews is how differently people, like, process these films.
0: Okay, expand.
1: So the first one that you read by Bethany, it, it like, feels very accurate to the way that I view the film. Okay. The The next one you know snoopy style here starts by talking about uh clues to a war chest (laughs) hidden by the founding fathers um i don't know what war chest snoopy's talking about
0: also after the revolutionary war snoopy the whole point was they were (laughs) hiding the treasure before the war so the british couldn't get it
1: so like i don't know i don't know how how to his word we can take snoopy on this and then the the what really stuck me though was gavin's review in which he characterizes the movie as the story of john boyd's character (laughs) so patrick gates is the main character not ben gates but it's all about patrick which is fascinating to me because when you look at it from that perspective his review makes complete sense I mean, like, all the things that he's saying are true, if you think about it, from Patrick Gates being the pivotal figure in the film. But the fact of the matter is that he just didn't have as much screen time as (laughs) Nick Cage did. And so Nick Cage was really the center of the film. But clearly, Gavin interpreted the film and viewed the film differently than we do, which is interesting.
0: For sure, except for there's one thing that that uh, that Gavin does that we do a lot. Did you did you pick up on this
1: mentioning British thugs?
0: No, but that's fair. Uh, no, what I was going to say was using the character name and the actor name interchangeably.
1: <laughs> oh dear, I do love when his son Nicholas Cage shows up. <laughs> the
0: fact that the fact that you didn't even pick up on that is proof positive that we see the character and the actor as the same person. <laughs>
1: I will point out, though, in this review, so we were we were pointing it out in the critic reviews earlier, but I want to note here that we do have a mention of a beautiful German girl mm-hmm. and a trendy computer hacker. So once again, the characterization of the characters by viewers of the films is still somewhat unfavorable. And if I'm remembering correctly, Aubrey, you said that these were relatively recently written.
0: It were more, recent. As well.
1: more the... recent. More recent than 2004. Definitely. So that would suggest that, you know, the way that we're viewing these characters in these movies may, may not have changed that much over time.
0: Especially from a lay audience perspective. I mean, maybe, as awful as it would be, maybe that was a way it was done for, like, professional movie reviewing. Like, you look at people stereotypically. There are no rules about how... Regular audience members view movies, so like they didn't have to succumb to that yeah, sort of I mean, thing.
1: You don't have to view the main character as the main character, according to true. Gavin.
0: That's is true. I will point out this is interesting. Um, as as strange as some of Snoopy Styles' word choice was, he is the only person of all the reviews that we've discussed today who gives Abigail a really objective characterization. Recall. I did like that. He writes, Abigail Chase is the government official who gets dragged into the caper when Benjamin steals the Declaration of Independence. That is accurate and unoffensive.
1: No mention of her being a woman. Great. Or Why do we even need to mention it?
0: Or what she looks like, you know, or how she acts. I completely agree. I found that I found that really really nice. Um, ultimately, I don't have much more to say about these three. I think I just got like a very different vibe from like the Rotten Tomatoes reviewers and the IMDb reviewers. Where I think the IMDb reviewers are trying to be a little more reviewy,
1: mm-hmm.
0: you know. Um, but I think they are—they're more fair and they're more even-keeled than than what we saw earlier on in in the reviews. Do you have anything else you want to mention about these?
1: I don't. You know, I think I think I yeah, I think I'm good.
0: Okay, so before we wrap up, I don't know, this has been such an interesting exercise. I feel like it has been not only have we illuminated some really problematic systems shocker, um, I feel like there are also just some really clear differences here in how people on different types of websites and like on different sources write and speak. I mean, there's definitely a big difference between how professional movie critics see a movie like this, as we've discussed, and how viewers see the movie, as well as a difference between like big newspaper outlets and like online aggregator sites very different vibe um and my last thought here is I mentioned at the top do those reviews stand the test of time I mean not always not, not just, always not just in the way they characterize the characters but you know Stephen Holden can't let him go. The you know he was very wrong in his estimation of what this would be for Brookheimer and Nick Cage. Um there were also assertions that like people would find it boring and children would sleep through it and they would just take all of the history for fact when they weren't sleeping, very contradictory. Um and we know now almost 20 years later that this is a very popular movie. When it comes to a general viewing audience, um, so I, I found that I found that really fascinating. What about you M Did anything stick out to you?
1: I mean I, I, I kind of mentioned it before, but I think you know the thing that I really that really hits home for me every time that I read critic reviews is really how similar they are across the genres of movies that i'm interested in Mm. so how similar these critic reviews were to as i mentioned superhero movie reviews and you know the one thing that bothers me about critic reviews is the supposed like high intellect that the writers bring to their review and that they refuse to attempt to apply to movies that have more of a cookie cutter format but are still good and you know, this leaves me wondering, we've talked about Pig, Mm -hmm. that Nicolas Cage movie on our podcast before. And I, I wonder what the critic reviews for Pig would be.
0: They were really stellar.
1: Right. And that to me is interesting because that movie was, I mean, I enjoyed the movie. I know you didn't enjoy it as much, but I enjoyed the movie, but it was like, It was a fairly, it was kind of like the day in the life of a person. It was, it was fairly boring. Um, There wasn't a whole lot to it. It was just a very confined story. There wasn't a lot of action or anything like that. Yet the critic reviews for it were super, super positive because they're able to take something that's that simplistic and pull out all of these extra meanings from it whereas you can't, they have trouble taking something that is more extraordinary like national treasure or like a superhero movie and seeing how that could also have some have something to say about the way that we are as a society or the way that we are as as people and i think that you know what this exercise has really made me appreciate especially reading some of the you know, the comments from just the general audience is the way that, you know, we were, we were taught to think about this kind of stuff um, from our time at our sinus college um, and the way that we were taught to look for deeper meanings in kind of all of the, all of the things that we do and all of the sources that we take in. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that there's, I think it's a privilege to be able to look at things that way. And I think that there's something really positive that comes from being able to have that view on things that some people like these movie critics are maybe missing out on.
0: I was, that was really well said. Um, And if I may, I mean, I think the fact that we're here for a season four and people are listening to this conversation right now is evidence that people agree with you, right? Right. Because that's kind of what, like you said, we're trying to do here. So that was our assessment of National Treasure movie reviews. We hope you had some fun with that. We certainly did. That got, oof, my blood pressure had risen (laughs) early on there. Glad we survived, but... We want to hear your thoughts now. How did you feel about these movie reviews? Are there any National Treasure reviews that you found that you found particularly egregious, particularly good, particularly funny? Share with us your thoughts. Share with us those reviews. And hey, by the way, did you like this episode? Because if you did, we'll consider doing a repeat about National Treasure 2, which I think could be really fun and really interesting because National Treasure 2 was... Not as put together mm-hmm. as That's
1: the a nice first, way of putting it <laughs>
0: as the first movie. So I would really be curious what those reviews look like. Um, so yeah, let us know. Emily, want to give the social media shout again?
1: You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at nt hunt podcast. We are available for your listening ears on Apple Podcast, Spotify, SoundCloud, SoundCloud and good pods go ahead and check out our merch store if you want to rep any national treasure hunt gear or merch in your day-to-day lives and like aubrey was saying go ahead like subscribe rate review do whatever you can on the various platforms let us know your thoughts about this episode let us know if you found any movie reviews for national treasure that you agree or disagree with and just keep chatting to us guys
0: Yes, and we hope you will look forward to our next episode. The second episode of National Treasure Hunt season four is coming in two weeks time. and this will be one of our favorite types of episodes to do on the show it is a comparison episode where we are going to be comparing National Treasure to. Drum roll, please. <laughs> <laughs> Hamilton! so that should be really interesting and hey before we sign off we just want to give one more thanks to everyone who has chosen to return to national treasure hunt for season four and one more big welcome to anyone joining for the first time we'll see you again in two weeks but until then i'm aubrey and i'm emily and thank you so much for joining us on our national treasure hunt